Bangor Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. Good afternoon. My name is Sean from the Nazareth Trust, and I'm here to tell you, together with Tony, some of the short-term volunteer opportunities we have around. Who's the Nazareth Trust? We were formerly the Edinburgh Medical Missionary Society, as you can see uh, behind me on the screen. A summary of us is we're a Christian charity, obviously, based in Edinburgh Registered in Scotland, with an English head office in the Arab Muslim city of Nazareth in the Jewish state of Israel. Put all that in the melting pot and you see why our job is maybe a little more complicated than first appears. So what do we do? We run the Nazareth Hospital Ems, which is Israel's oldest hospital, been going for 153 years now, and with the city's second largest employer with 146 beds. And visit the hospital, together with other places on site, you'll see Muslims, Christians, Druze and Jews intermingling, doing their daily business uh, all over. Currently, we are obviously treating patients uh, from the Gaza conflict. We've um, associated with the Al-Ali Hospital in Gaza City, together with St. Luke's Hospital in East Jerusalem. We also operate the Nazareth School of Nursing, which is Israel's second oldest school of nursing, and this year celebrates its 90th anniversary. Our student body normally numbers around about 250, and if our principal doesn't have one of her students in the top five, she's very disappointed. We have Serve Nazareth, which is our short-term volunteer program, which we'll come to in a moment. We have the Nazareth Village, which is um, a working museum as part of our site in Israel. And you can visit that as part of your pilgrimage to Israel. And you can take a parable walk as you do the village tour. Underpinning all that, we have our chaplaincy service. We're a Christian organization um, in a Muslim city. And really, the chaplaincy service leads us what you call a church out there in Israel, which you can see the various things that we do there. But it's for Serve Nazareth I want to speak this afternoon. So what does Serve Nazareth do? Well, the vision, as you can see up there, is to glorify God by bringing Christians from around the world together in service to encourage the body of Christ in Nazareth. Remember this time last year, the panel that was on the stage here, we had some people from the Middle East, and the Arab Christians call themselves the Forgotten Church. And so we're there to encourage them in their daily walk with Christ, but also equip people for future ministry. People can go out as individuals or as part of a group from anything from a week up to six months, although we just had a lad return to Switzerland last week after nine months. Um, What will you do with Serve Nazareth? You'll have two placements, one on-site, one off-site. Hence the reason why I've just told you everything that we do. You could work in the hospital, Um, It could be a medical elective, a nursing elective. You could be working in the central sterile unit, a ward orderly, or working in the renal um, dialysis ward. You can work in the school, help the students there with their English, um, although most of the lessons are given in Hebrew and Arabic, all the students want to learn English as well. You could be a volunteer with the chaplaincy service and go around the wards again. um, Google Translate on a smartphone does wonders. If you can't speak Arabic, not a problem. We use Google Translate a lot with the smartphones. Or you can go in the village. You can help in the restaurant, serve, cook meals, or you can become a, vi- um, a guide around the village. Or you can, and the other uh, placement would be off-site with a local church, small group, whether it be a youth group, ladies' group, maybe doing a bit of gardening, a bit tidying up, a bit of maintenance, things like that. So that's what Serve Nazareth is about. But what difference does it make? This is Timmy Torpe, um, who was one of our servers from the States. You can read her story there of how she was changed by God in the three months she spent um, in the summer uh, three years ago. This is Jamie. Jamie was part of the same team as Timmy Torpe three years ago. And again, his life has, hasn't been the same since he returned after serving with Serve Nazareth. That's a group one summer, two years ago. And this is Kalita, who returned to London last year. But what difference does it make to the people in Nazareth? Many of our staff are Christians. 
And this is the story of Ronnie, a social worker in our psychiatry department. And let me read this to you. And this is his words. This is his English. Dear my family and serve Nazareth, I just want to let you know how major is your role. You are a blessing to everyone you meet. Your work in the hospital is very significant for fulfilling our call among many challenges we face with this generation. If you can just make it out, that's Ronnie at the front, helping to lead worship in our chapel with his guitar. But I want you actually to hear it from somebody herself, and this is Hannah's story. You're going to hear three and a half minutes of what Sir Nazareth did for Hannah. I have a story that touched my heart when I was in dialysis. What I do is I go around and I'll massage their hands and usually I will sing to the patients. Brothers, let us come together. Nurses sent me over to a man um, whose friend who normally sits next to him had just passed away. I walked in and it was Emil who I talked to one time before. I didn't really know him yet, but he was always really joyful the first when I first met him. And they will know us by our love. I started to sing to him. I was kind of getting emotional and I looked at him and and he his eyes were, were filled with, with tears. When I saw that, like I just I just lost it. We will come he said, I am a Christian, and I was saying, me too, and he was, was pointed to where his friend used to sit, and he said, I stay here for Jesus. He said, me too. His wife came over to me and just wrapped her arms around me, and the three of us were just crying together. <laughs> it was just... It was so awesome that we were just so united by Christ's love and we didn't even speak the same language, but it was probably one of the most beautiful moments I've ever had in my life. It just showed me that Jesus truly is, he is our comfort in this world and he always provides and he's always there to encourage you. And he uses each other and he uses relationships to do that. You don't even need words. Stand firm in the truth now, set your hearts above. I've actually formed a really good relationship with them. I feel like they're my Arabic parents. <laughs> and they will know you by your love. They're such a relational culture and they don't even know you, but they'll stop you and they want to know your name and where you're from take the time to kind of hear your story. His eyes bind it around you Let it never leave you I've kind of um, just had my eyes open to how, how much it means to people and, or to me when I have someone take the time um, out of their day just to want to know who I am. Love with His that I can take that back and um, show people the same kindness. I just feel like it's the way that Christ would want us to live. And they will know us by our love. So that I was the story of Hannah. Uh, the full video is actually 10 minutes. If you wanted to see the full video, come to me in the Global Village and we can show you that. But there's one further way that you can support people like um, we see in Nazareth and that's by our sponsored walks. Um, and we, I think we're going to have another video, uh, PowerPoint at this point. The sponsored walk that we do is called the Jesus Trail. It's a 40 mile walk from Nazareth to Capernaum, or Capernaum to Nazareth. We did it in March, and, and there it is. Um, in March, we did it over five days. In two weeks' time, we'll be doing it again over five days. 
possibly November 2015 we'll be doing it over four days there's the map in March we did it from Capernaum down to Nazareth in two weeks time we'll be doing it from Nazareth to Capernaum there's the profile in March we went up in two weeks time we'll be going down um, eight and a half thousand feet um, is what we'll be descending in two weeks time and that's the kind of profile that we do day by day that's looking across to the Sea of Galilee um, from the Arbel Cliffs um, there's two of us here this afternoon on that picture I'll let you find out who the other one is um, that's Cana in Galilee um, the mosque is a main feature in Cana these days and that's the horns of hitting what you also walk through the scene of the crusades of many years ago so not only can you go out to Nazareth and serve and spend time in Nazareth we can also go out and see the places that Jesus saw for himself so that's us at Serve Nazareth and the Nazareth Trust and now hand over to Tony from Ems International. Hello everybody, Um, my name is Tony um, and I am from Ems International and for those of you who are very observant you'll notice the similarity in Ems. Um, We have a shared history together um, and we both work in healthcare but very similar to Ems Nazareth, um, we actually work internationally. So I have one of the best jobs in the world. I get to raise support for vital causes, for example, what Mpato is doing in Malawi. So I get to, to go around the country telling people um, about the exciting work that, that people like Mpato are doing, the lives that they're changing. Um, and hopefully I can just give you a very quick snapshot of what we're about and then sum it up by ways that you can get involved in mission. So, EMS International, who we are, um, we are interested in healthcare. So, we work in some of the poorest areas of, of the world. Um, places like in, in, in northern Malawi, where Mpats was from, where it is very, very hilly, where you have to walk long distances to get to hospitals. Um, those are the kind of areas that we're interested in investing in. We are interested in helping people who are at the very bottom of the poverty line, those who really are unreached, those who really do need our support and do need our help. Um, And we work in three countries. We work in Malawi, we work in India, and we work in Nepal. Um, So what's our vision? We have a vision that there be a just world where everybody can receive good quality health care, regardless of their race, regardless of their religion. Um, regardless of their status. We want to follow the example of Jesus Christ, and we want to work in some of the poorest um, communities of the world and transform their lives through compassionate, effective, and sustainable health care. And it's a lot of jargon, really, just to say that we want to provide people with adequate health care, with, with you know, someone who has breast cancer and comes in, in, in Malawi. You know, really, they're sent home. Um, there isn't that much palliative care going forward for that person. We want them to have the dignity um, that we can have here. Um, so here are a couple of, of uh, again, big words, but um, I guess the, the one that I would look at the most is empowering. And I think Mpatso touched on it very, very briefly in that um, we sometimes have the mindset that we can go across to the other side of the world and that we can bring all this amazing knowledge and all this amazing skill that we can you know, transform the way that they're thinking. Um, when actually it's probably the other way around and that most people who go out to the likes of Malawi or India it will actually come back um, amazed and encouraged and um, transformed in their thinking and their thoughts. And what, what, what we try to do is really help local doctors, local communities to, um, to run things themselves. And so we would empower the likes of impact, so we would empower people to, um, to really be able to, to, to transform their communities. And, and, and we work within healthcare through financial um, backing, through um, prayerful consideration, through helping them in developing projects. So we work in, in, in maternal and child health. So if, if there's any midwives among, among you, um, you know, we work in trying to help um, uh, 
obviously, if, if a mother is giving birth, you're, you're something like 30 times more likely to die just giving birth um, in, in, in the likes of Nepal or Malawi than you are here. We work with the disease and disability. Um, the, the work that Impazzo is doing is actually hoping to, to um, completely wipe out HIV in a generation. And that's simply through educating women in how to actually um, st- stop them giving HIV from them when they give birth to their babies. Um, and you know, with that proper education and with that proper support, they're actually able to do that. And then palliative care as well, which again is very much about giving people that dignity and giving people that, that, that chance to really live um, not in unbearable agony. So w- what can you do? Um, well, first of all, I, I would greatly encourage you to, to sign up with Malawi SU and go out for a couple of weeks. I would greatly encourage you to, to share some time with Impazzo and see what it's like to live there. And I, I would encourage you that, that if you did that, you would probably find that you would take away so much more than you would actually go to contribute. But I think it would be extremely worthwhile. If there are any medics among you, we offer medical electives anywhere in the world. Um, if there was anywhere, um, again, if you were going up to Malawi, um, you could stop in for a cup of tea with Impazzo. You could really experience that. Um, do you drink tea? I don't know. Tea? Yeah? Coffee. Coffee. Um, Mizuzu coffee is apparently very good. Um, but yes, if, you, if, you, if there are any medics among you, um, we actually offer financial support to you. There are general, generous donors who are offering um, £1,000 grants for electives, which apparently is very good. I don't know. Um, but if you're interested, please speak to me, um, and I'll try and get that arranged for you. Um, and that includes for nurses and midwives as well. So please speak to me if, if anybody's interested in that. And then the second thing actually is around um, something a lot more fun and something a little bit different, which is Cycle Malawi. So if you're interested in some of these projects that we're doing, if you'd like to support, um, what you can actually do is do an interesting bike ride through the country. What that does is it raises money, first of all, to empower people like Mpatso to do the work that she needs to do but also gives you the chance to actually see the hospitals, to, to cycle through and, and meet the communities that you're actually helping. And it's quite life-transforming. Life and there is a 75-year-old woman doing it this year with us, um, so she is incredible. Um, so there is, you know, all ages um, are, are welcome to that. Um, and I've just got a short video, which hopefully will just show you a little bit um, about what the cycle could do. Um, and, yep. Thank you so much. Nope, didn't work. My name is Ben, a guide from London Lake Safaris. Um, I'm delighted to have this trip uh, with the EMMS uh, from uh, Mangochi up to uh, Mulanje. It's such a fantastic uh, trip and everyone is at his highest speed or highest speed. And it's very nice and everyone is very cooperative and we are happy to have this group. Malawi is such a beautiful country with all its slopes and heights and, all, and everything is fantastic. So somehow, somewhere, maybe you have heard about Malawi. Malawi is a special country and if you, if you are cycling in Malawi, you don't have to fear anything. It's just safe to cycle.
Hi there, we just nearly arrived at Milanji after five incredible days cycling. It's been just a life-changing, fantastic experience. And I'm looking forward to visiting the hospital and seeing the project we're helping. And we're accompanied by lots of friendly Malawians along the way, lots of smiling faces and waves that kept us going. And it's just been such a brilliant week. Okay, well hopefully that gives you a good feel for what that's about. If you're like me and you're not um, a doctor or a midwife or a nurse, um, you might feel that there's not much that you can do. Um, but just to encourage you, I mean, I um, realise I couldn't do much. I've also got two young children under the age of three, so the chances of me being able to give any money was also pretty slim. But I wanted to contribute something, um, so I signed up to do the bike ride, um, and I've raised £6,000. And the difference that that's going to make to, to the projects that, that, that Mpatso and, and, the, and the doctors and people that are doing these things in these countries, the difference that that makes is quite significant. So, you know, don't, don't play it down. Um, you know, it, yes, it is a fun adventure. Yes, it's a good time, a good thing that you can do for a couple of weeks. But the difference that it can make is quite significant. So I encourage you with that. And thank you very much. I'm glad that uh, Stuart encouraged us to think about the older people because we in Africa also, if you're changed colour, you can be very welcome and very useful, whereas here you might be kind of finished. Romans 15, please, if we could turn there. And uh, when I'm through, um, maybe we can adjust me down a little bit because I have a slightly strong voice. Um, We're going to give each of you this little leaflet to take away, the best off, and it's full of great ideas and stuff that we've come across, and it includes one or two things, um, full-length missions movie from Africa that we have in AIM. My name is Alan. I work for Africa Inland Mission, and also an event that's coming up in September with Arab World Ministries and Salt Mines, so bring all your friends to this. Uh, One hour in North Africa, the last 100 years, and I think it will be outstanding. So the details will be on the leaflet as well. And I also would like to draw your attention to something you can't get anywhere else in Ireland yet, and this book is called Live Dead. And Dick Brogdon of AOG and their ministries into unreached peoples, uh, this is a devotional and pleads with us for 30 days to be willing to give additional time to Christ and to our walk, walk with God And each day tells us of people working amongst these unreached peoples and pleads with us to pray especially for them and to ask God to touch our hearts for these people. It's not just for these 30 days, but also that we may walk with Him and love Him. So these are here, eight pounds each, and I have 50 of them from the States, so you're most welcome to, uh, to, to take some of those. Thank you to your committee for entrusting to me to open the Scriptures these few minutes and Uh, to think about the subject of going. I wonder, has the going gone? Or is it just nostalgia to think that 40 years ago or 100 that going was more prominent in our preaching and in our praying? Perhaps we've matured, or maybe this is normal, but if we've forgotten 
to tell the Brazilians and the South Koreans and the Chinese and the Filipinos and even the Africans, you know, when the Chinese delegation was not able to leave China to go to Luzon, their leaders together said, we pledge before God with his help that we will seek to send 100,000 new workers into places that are less reached than China. What would Hudson Taylor have thought of this? I was in Galway a year ago, and an African pastor, he said to me, you know, a month ago I led a man to Christ, and his name was Casey, and just a little while before, Kavanaugh, and I'm thinking if you're an Irish poet out in Galway, you're in serious bother from this fellow, but he said to me then, you brought the gospel to us, and now we want to bring it back again to you. Romans 15, Paul speaks of Christ, and he says, verse 3, Christ, even Christ, please not himself. I sometimes wonder what would it look like if I were able to spend even one day of my life free of selfishness. My children wouldn't recognize me. My wife would think she'd married the wrong man, but Christ. Every moment of every day and every fiber of his being, doing the will of the Father, not his own, I've come not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And selfishness is ugly, and especially when it goes to church, and go to church it does. For here I can be self-promoting and self-exalting, self-interested, competitive. Paul draws in Psalm 69 to show the extent here to which Christ pleased not himself, as it is written. The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. You see all that swearing and oath against the Father. He was now taking on him too. And that is death, we see, not a dignified death, but one that was a cacophony of noise, spitting oaths and insults. Christ pleased not himself. And I'm so thankful for if Christ had pleased himself, then I, we, would not be here. And because he pleased not himself, verse 4, we might have hope. Hope, verse 13, that fills us with joy and peace. Before serving with AIM, I was 30 years working in business, and our workers in a certain place in North Africa, they can only be there because they have business, and they asked if I would be willing to come and help them, and I don't know if I'm any help to them, but I was there a few months ago, and um, I've forgotten my buttons. Can I steal these? Thank you. When I was with this couple, this young lady... She loves to paint, and in her salon, you see here this eight-foot-wide painting of the hands of Christ, wounded, reaching out, and there a Muslim woman with this burden and seeking him. And down the side, though you can't see it, but in Swahili and in French and in Arabic, come to me, you are burdened and heavy laden. I will give you rest. And she said the women come and they pour out their hearts. And she said, just eight weeks before I was there, these two sisters visited, and one of them said, Kristen, every time we come here, we just feel such, such peace, such joy. She said, your words are full of hope, always. And then the other sister said, Kristen, what we really need is to have you born in us, because if you were born in us, we would have your joy too. And Kristen said to me, Alan, they're beginning to see something of what this gospel looks like, that it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Hope. Paul, having spoken of a Christ who did not please himself and of this hope, now tells us, this is my ambition, to preach Christ, not where he is already named. That's all very well, but we're here today about short-term mission, aren't we? What can short-term mission do about that? I have some questions, some hard questions possibly. Question, doesn't short-term mission do more harm than good? Yeah, they make mistakes. I'd like to tell you about one of those. My daughter is just back from living two years in a North African country. Her city has the population of Northern Ireland approximately, and the number of believers in that city, one church, would be less than us. Picture Northern Ireland, and this is all we are. And uh, one of the things I think we in our mission maybe do best is is the team of Jonathan. I rely on you. Just press it on for me, please. This is a team that's two years. It's like going to Bible school. You do theology and missiology and cross-cultural learning and rapid language acquisition, and you, you do it all living in this unreached or least reached people group. And 
Week two is really tough, because on week two, they send you out to live with a, another family, and you don't speak Arabic, and they don't speak English, and you nod at each other and point and, and smile, and you get by and learn. My daughter's colleague, I'll call her Christine, she lived with a large family for that week, and no one spoke English, and, and there were cousins coming and going all the time, and then in the middle of the week, this young man appeared, and he spoke a little English. The next week, Christine went home, and he wrote her an email, and he said, Dear Christine, are you a missionary? How was she going to answer this? And she just arrived. She didn't want to be thrown out just yet. Um, and here's what happened. When he was nine years of age, someone, probably in a short-term team, slipped a New Testament underneath his door. It's not in the textbook of the way to do things. In fact, they say, don't do this. And uh, it's not good to put a holy book on the ground. And this book sat on the shelf until he was 15. And he took it down and started to read and read and read. And when he was through reading, he said, I think I need to find a missionary. And now, here, ten years later, he thought he'd find one. You see, even our mistakes, even the things that we do wrong, God is gracious and can overcome. And question, does short-term mission do any long-term good? You know, people sometimes ask, where'd you get the funny name? Africa Inland Mission, it sounds a bit quaint, old-fashioned. Um, if there had been Google satellites a hundred years ago sweeping the skies of Africa and searching for worshiping communities of Jesus Christ, what would they have found? Well, they, they would have found believers, mostly on the coast. And our people burdened to take the gospel to those who, where Christ had not been named. They realized that would mean going inland, and that would be difficult, dangerous, Thing is, we think we've invented short-term mission, OM and beach missions and CEF and Scripture Union, and, but we didn't. You see, they did short-term mission too, because they realized that to go to these places, they probably wouldn't live long. One year, maybe two. You know, many of them packed their belongings in their coffins. Short-term mission. <laughs> did it do any good? You see, if those Google satellites would sweep the skies of Africa today, you are aware that their God has blessed abundantly. Then there were 9 million or so. It's estimated today 470 million, but it's not just numbers. It's a church that's flourishing theologically, numerically, deepening, strengthening, in some places shockingly. Question. Surely you missionary guys are getting a bit overexcited about all this. Charlie Anderson leads the work of European Christian Mission here in Ireland, and he told me a few weeks ago, he, they've just opened a new ECM office in Brazil, and his Brazilian new colleague came here to learn a whole lot of things about ECM and about how you do things, and he said, Charlie, what do you do when people apply? Oh, Charlie's very good at his job, told me to say this, and uh, he, uh, he said, well, you know, you, you take time with them, you don't put pressure, you pray with them, you meet their family, you talk to them, all the good things you do with their church, and so on. Oh, the guy said, that'll never work in Brazil. <laughs> now, you see, we're used here explaining to our English friends why their mad ideas definitely wouldn't ever work here. Sometimes they do, actually, but don't let on. But you see, uh, now the boot's on the other foot, and he's saying, no, this is not going to work. But he explained. He said, I've just started. But three weeks ago, I was asked to a church, and on a Sunday morning, I taught Bible, and I spoke mission, and I told them about Europe, and I said, if you sense possibly that God is speaking into your life... And prompting you to consider being willing to serve him. Come and talk to me afterwards. And afterwards, 54 of them did. Maybe that's what normal looks like. Yeah, I don't think we in the mission are overexcited. If I may, I'd like to tell you what I really think. Because in this role, I go around the country to CUs and scripture unions and to church mission events. And often they're wonderful, but not infrequently. I come away with a heaviness because I feel there's a missing note. A missing note, just like in Luke 15. There, Jesus tells three stories. We know them. There's a missing sheep, and that story is full of searching and going after until he finds it. And then, when he does, there's all his friends and rejoicing. The next one, the coin goes missing, and here again, loads of searching, seeks diligently, and then when the coin shows up, all the neighbors are in, and there's a lot of yahooing and hooraying, and there's a great party. And if you and I had been sitting there listening to Jesus tell these three stories, we'd have noticed when he got to story number three, there was something missing, and it wasn't a son. What's really missing 
There was no searching, no going after until he finds it, no seeking diligently, for nobody goes. And there was something else missing, and that was joy. There was instead meanness and bitterness. We lived in South Africa, and we became great friends with an OM leader there, and he travels the world teaching mission, and periodically the University Christian Union in Pretoria invite him to come and teach a week of mission. And I'd been there when this has happened, and Last time, he wrote to me before, and he said, Alan, please pray for this week. And he, at the beginning, says, I'm going to teach you Bible. We're going to begin in Genesis and work our way through, and we're going to understand mission and how it is today. But he said, I will ask you when we come to Friday. I'm going to ask that some of you might, before God, be willing to give two years of your life to some people in this world that nobody else has heard of or cares about. And I'm going to plead that you might be willing to do this. And I've met some of them, dentists in Afghanistan, and some of these people who before have done this thing. And he wrote a mail at the end, and he said, Alan, over 60 this last week of these students said that they would do this. And this is what breaks my heart, because when I'm at some of these places, I say, well, if that can happen in South Africa, then why not here as well, in Queens and Coleraine and Jordanstown? And those of you who lead CSSM teams, do you, when you're teaching for the fortnight or whatever other team, do you sound this note? Those of you who are planning youth weekends, are they going to hear this sound? What is it about Paul that makes him say this? Feel this. Personality? No. Theology. Verse 20, as it is written, those who have never been told will see. Those who have never heard will understand. And what is driving Paul is this understanding that it's from all of the Scriptures that mission is God-fulfilling in our time, His purposes and promises and the joy that comes to us from being entrusted with this. Here in Romans 15, he draws from each of the four major divisions of the Scriptures, from history into Samuel and the law and Deuteronomy and the writings in the Psalms and the prophets in Isaiah. And the question is, where do you find mission in the Bible? It's everywhere. And if you want to find the genesis of mission, go back and begin in the book of Genesis. It's no surprise, then, when we read the story of mission to find that so often there is this connection between the individual and his strong and deep and private devotional life and their willingness to serve whatever and wherever, here or there. I think I first came on this when I was a student and was reading the Cambridge Seven, and you know they were sending so many at that time, and they had a great motto. Do you know what it was? Remember the morning watch. My job is really to say to people, just read your Bible. Never mind the mission bit. You know, read your Bible. and then the, Because that was their focus and their emphasis, and when this happens in private, it will affect us. And one of those Cambridge Seven wasn't so good at getting up in the morning. He was an engineer, and I don't know how he figured this, but he had a, a little alarm clock and a contraption and a fishing rod, and the line was across here, and the hook was on his bedclothes, and in the morning, when the alarm clock went off, the whole thing went up in the air, and he was so cold he had to get up. He wanted to meet with God. And what do I find when I expose my heart to the Scriptures? I find it tells me that each man was given one minor, and to us is entrusted this gospel, not for our private use and personal enjoyment, but to invest it for the good of this world and the glory of the fame of Christ. And what he will do when he returns is he will scrutinize most of all what have we done with what he has given to us. And we learn that the one who didn't do anything was the one who didn't really know his master at all. And like Zacchaeus, when he came down from that tree, having learned that stuff is only stuff and that to have Jesus, that's everything. And that's what we learn when we expose ourselves to the Scripture. We learn that persecution isn't the only thing that's dangerous, but that we are in danger of so surrounding ourselves with comfort and security and wealth that we think we can get along pretty good without God. Dick Brogdon, the man who put this book together, Live Dead, said, Is there one of us willing to become nothing so that Jesus Christ might become everything to even one Muslim? Or maybe I should instead address your congregation. Next slide. Because last year I spent three days in Tanzania with a couple and their church in 1988 said, we want to reach seven unreached people groups. Don't know how we're going to do it. But last year when I was with them, they were just about to go home. And they told me about the first one. They went in. And after two years, some believed. And then a church. And the joy of this. And then they went to another. And now 
Now they were to go back to be missions pastors. What a great missions pastor to have. Seven unreached peoples that they have brought Christ to. Churches, you can do this too. Last slide, please. Oh, that was... Right, next, next one, uh, Jonathan. I want to leave the last words to an African friend because last year when I was there, I said, please, can I meet some African church leaders? I want to hear what they would say when they come here, not just to give a Western view. And I was introduced to Reuben, and he told me a story. He did his bachelor's in theology, did a diploma in mission, but he said, I still didn't know much. So I went to the school of Islam for a year, and after nine months, I learned how they think. Now he said, I'm ready, and he went to Garissa. You've heard of Garissa. It's the place near the border to Somalia where there been killings, and, and so um, he said, the first thing I, I had to learn was how to be spat on, because that's what they do at first, and then he said, uh, after some time, the first came to believe his name was Abdi, and they became great friends, and now others believed, and soon Abdi was the pastor, and now there were a couple of churches, and Abdi was the pastor of the pastors. I was having lunch that Sunday, three hours together, and just on the Thursday, he'd been in Garissa, and uh, four minutes after leaving, Abdi and the other brother, the gunman struck, and Abdi has gone to his reward. And we sat together, and his wife said to me, every time Reuben leaves us here, we don't know if he's going to come back, but we're ready for this. At the end of the conversation, we were saying goodbye, and Reuben took me by the arm, and he said, Alan, here is what you must tell them when you go home. Tell them we still need help. Tell them send fire, because that's what you did a hundred years ago. You sent people who love Jesus this way, and now you send people, and they know their Bible, but just a little bit. You send people, and we Africans have to teach them to pray. Go back home, and that is what you must find because that's the help we need here in Africa. Lord, to help us, let's pray. Please, Lord, we need your mercy, and we need to hear your voice. We know we stand in need, more need than we're aware of and conscious of. Would you, Lord, prompt us rather to be in a private place to sort these things out? And we thank you that it is a gospel of love and mercy and hope. And we pause today together to pray for friends who serve in such places as these. Lord, help them. And we pray for ourselves, that our steps towards serving you in whichever shape or place might be steps to wholehearted, enduring service for the kingdom. We pray for Jesus' honor and glory. Amen. Excuse us, we're all on I dance. <laughs> As we bring the, this afternoon to conclusion, there's one last short section where we want to invite uh, a couple of those who have been up already onto the stage, plus one additional person, to answer some of the questions, because we're conscious that you guys have, have listened to a lot of stuff, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we're scratching where you're itching. Uh, and so we have wanted to take that opportunity just to, to answer some of the things that have, that have been put to us. So let me invite David McCulloch, um, who we've already seen, who was so shooing the other foot now, um, PCI uh, missionary working out in Malawi. We have Impatsu again, is coming up. Um, Impatsu looks surprised, obviously surely didn't tell you either. Um, LAUGHTER and, and one, one person that we haven't heard from already is Dr. Luke Heron. So, Luke, do please also come and join us. And I'll give that to you first of all, Luke. Um, you guys will be delighted to know that I have a, a whole ream of stickies here. Um, you'll be even more delighted to know that there's actually only something on the first one. So... <laughs> This is going to be a reasonably short session. Look, though, let me, let me give opportunity for you, first of all, to say something about who you are um, and why you're here, because we haven't yet heard from you. Okay. I'm Luke Heron. I'm the director of Africa Inland Mission. Uh, been 20 years in different Muslim countries in Africa as a physician, uh, but my heart is really for evangelism and discipleship and church planting in the Muslim world. So I'm here uh, primarily to speak tonight, uh, and I'm uh, one of the speakers tonight and be talking about going, in particular with reference to the Muslim world. Okay, so basically you're, you're Alan's boss. 
you know, yeah. that would mean he does what I say. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, you're lucky. That's good. I mean, two questions um, that, that have been put to us. Um, first of all, in a very general term, should everyone assume they should stay as senders unless they're called to go? Or should they assume that they should go unless they are called to stay as senders? Let me put it again. Should everyone assume they should stay unless they're called to go? Or should we assume that we should go unless we're called to stay as senders? I don't, I don't think they should assume either one. I think everybody needs to seek the Lord for what his will is in their lives. Uh, I'm certainly not going to say that everybody should think they should go, because everybody should not go. Uh, Some people should certainly go, but everybody should not go. Um, We all need to be right where the Lord wants us to be, and I believe that the Lord will guide us in these things. If we have real hearts for him, then he will guide us. I have children. For those of you who have children, you tell your children what you want them to do, right? My children are grown up now, and I still tell them, and they don't listen to me at all. But um, we, we, we tell our children what we, we make our will known to our children. Um, I believe it's the same with our Heavenly Father. So I would say neither one of those is a correct statement, but we all need to seek what does the Lord have for me and have an open heart, a willing heart when we ask that question, and be happy either staying or going. And Pastor, would you like to, have you anything you'd like to add to that? I think most has already been said, but yeah, the most important thing is to ask for the will of the Lord. What does the Lord want me to do in life? So if the Lord wants you to go, you go. If the Lord wants you to stay, you stay. But remember, if you all go, there will be no space there. (laughs) Because all the places will be filled. So we need people in the background here who can do the other part which the people out there are not able to do. Because sometimes it feels as if you are in the battlefield. And when you are in the battlefields, there need to be commanders somewhere who are not in the battlefields. People who have to pray, people who have to seek, people who have to do all sorts of things than being on the battlefield uh, throwing the missiles. So ask the Lord for his will. Okay. David, we will pass the mic to you, but we're going to give you a slightly different question to, to, to start with. If I can just say that my only sort of reflection on that last comment, in the Western society, we hold very tightly to things that we call security. And, and as Christians, we've got to come to the Lord with open hands and say, Lord, take me to wherever. Should it be here? Should it be overseas somewhere? And if we have that openness to travel when the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire moves on a particular day to say, Lord, we're packing up and we're going, or Lord, we're going to stay put for the next year, the next two years, the next decade. David, somebody has said to us, I'm here in Nurnarn for the foreseeable future. How can I be a part of global mission here other than through giving or praying? Okay. Um I think that we'll start in the same place uh, where really we've all been going this afternoon, uh, and that is our relationship with God. We need to capture the image of who our God is. Uh, Alan put it very well that if we want to find the genesis of mission, we go to Genesis. Every page in the Bible is God's great plan of redeeming his people. Uh, the first thing we need to do is get back into our Bibles and, and see what God's heart for mission is throughout the world. My wife and I, um, nine months ago, left to go to Malawi from Northern Ireland. She had, uh, and this is going to help greatly for me now, she had the convenient job of being a a mission mobilizer for the Presbyterian Church in Ireland. And uh, we know the benefit of people's prayers. And uh, the question says, other than prayer, well, can I just say prayer is an important part to play in supporting missions, not just for those overseas, but for what it builds in your hearts. Prayer is a communication with God what is God's heart? How do we listen to God? We go to the scriptures, but we also talk to him about it to see how he's leading. We've been blessed. In fact, we've been overwhelmed being overseas, um, and actually we've been very impressed with what people can send through Royal Mail. My mother packed a little Chinese container of my favorite tray bakes, posted them in a jiffy bag, 
And okay, two months later, they arrived in Malawi after my birthday, but they survived, and I thought they tasted good. Two months in the Royal Mail Depot, I don't know. But talking to missionaries and finding out what their little home comforts are, yes, we're, we're called to, to go. We're called to give up so much. But as someone who is supporting at home, how can you support practically? What can you send? Percy Pigs from Marks and Spencers? Panjana tea bags? Sorry, I'm just rhyming off my list now. Um, but... <laughs> Actually, it'll be on the screen. No. Um, think practically how you can support mission friends or missionaries that somehow God has laid on your heart. What books can you send them? What CDs? Even with the internet, for the vast majority of missionaries around the world, their internet access is called broadband, but it's as quick as dial-up. Um, so being able to download things just doesn't come easy. What can you send practically, but also spiritually, devotionally for missionaries um, to help them as they struggle, as they desire to grow deeper in love with Jesus more and more, as they face conflict within mission organizations where they're working or contention within communities where they're living? What practically and spiritually can you send to help missionaries? And I would say that that grounded where I started with your heart, developing your heart in Scripture and in prayer for God's mission to the world. Thank you. I'm very conscious of the time. Again, as we said earlier, if you have anything that you would like to ask any of these guys about, or if you'd like to tease any of this out with, with any of us, then, then please do continue to do so. Again, it's interesting, and Patso spoke of the need of those who were at home um, to, to pray and the, and the support base that is required. She, she spoke of the military sort of analogy. Um, it said within the military that for every soldier on the front line, there's actually nine who are, who are working behind the scenes. And, and actually, if we think of mission as being spiritual warfare, then we should be thinking in, in the, those same sorts of, of, of ratios. And again, maybe from what David has said, let me also encourage folks, if, if you're wondering about how God's calling you to serve in mission, read the book of Philippians. Because there you read of the guy, Paul, who wrote the letter, who was called to go long-term. But you hear of Epaphroditus who went short-term and ended up going back then to report on everything that had been happening with this church. And you, speak, you hear of Paul giving thanks to God for the church's partnership, a church in partnership, not individuals, a church in partnership with the gospel as they prayed and as they gave. Which is more important than the other? Paul doesn't say, because they've all got a role to play. We trust that the session this afternoon has been of use to you as you have sought his will as to the role that he wants you to play and the place that he wants you to play it. Thank you, and thank you to these guys. We trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit www.worldwidemission.org donate.